Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We're walking through this book, and it's been, as I said several times, it's been kind of an enigma to me. Anomaly, if you will, just trying to study this book and read through this book all my years as being a Christian, just really not understanding this book. And I wanted to get to the bottom of it, make some sense of it, learn what God would have us to learn from it. And so that's what we've been doing the last few weeks, few months, actually, is walking through this book. And so we're in chapter 10. We'll get through verse 20 this morning. I was preaching a funeral Friday. Uh, 12-year-old boy lost his mother. She was only 41 years old. And I was thinking as I'm there at the funeral home, thinking about this young boy living the rest of his life without his mom, how this family situation is like the book of Ecclesiastes. Now Solomon, the author of the book, he's not wearing rose-colored glasses. Children, what, what that means, have you heard that expression? someone wearing rose-colored glasses. Someone that wears rose-colored glasses means that they they don't see things as they actually are. They make everything better than it actually is. And so Solomon, he doesn't pull punches. He just says, "This this is life. This is what life is all about. Solomon's on a quest to observe life using the wisdom God has given him. Remember, he's the wisest man that ever lived. But what he's trying to do is he's just trying to make sense of life. And he's telling us what life is really like. He's not a pessimist, I don't think. He's not overly melancholy, as some of us tend to be. He's telling us what our own life experiences discloses. Life's difficult. Life is full of uncertainty. And sometimes it just doesn't make sense. And Solomon has taught us that over and over again, God is sovereign. But we can't see what's coming. God sees, but we can. We know He's going to use the events of our lives for our betterment and for His glory. But the problem is we don't know what's coming, whether it's going to be pleasures or difficulties. When difficult times come, when death knocks on your family's door, when your boss mistreats you when injustice occurs, when your spouse of decades decides they want to move on, what do we do? Solomon says, trust God, fear God, and obey His commands because we all will have to give an account for what we've done on this earth. And going back to this family, what do we say to a family going through a time like this? What do we say? Say, let me know if you can do any if we can do anything for you, right? We say that often. And and we're sincere, right? Let me know if we can do anything for you. And I was thinking about this little 12-year-old boy and him not being able to hug his mama or kiss his mama goodnight. And I was thinking that how this little boy saying these words of boy, let us know if we can do anything for you. And we, we certainly would. But I can imagine this little boy 
looking up and saying, you, you go home and you hug your mom and you kiss her face and you tell her you, you love her. And just imagine him saying that. And he would be right, wouldn't he? Solomon, that's what Solomon's telling us. During the difficult times, what do we do? We trust him. We obey him. Despite our difficulties. Because he's sovereign. No one, he's using these events in our lives for our, for our good and for his glory. But when difficulties come, or when, when good times come, right? When, when blessings come, when we call them God's graces, happen in our life. A birth of a child, right? Enjoying family. I know for us, it's been just such a blessing to be close to family, to have grandparents drop by, just drop in, you know. Hey, we're going to take the kids. you got the night off. That's just, you know, it's a blessing. Just enjoying those graces or, or sunsets. You know how many sunsets we saw in China in 10 years? Zero. And so on, up there on Candy Lane, Hazelgrove Road, every evening the sun goes down, God just paints a picture. And... Kids, come on out on the deck. And we just look at the sunset. It's just enjoying God's grace. When you're, when you're not in good health, but you have a good day, what do you do? Enjoy God's grace. Some of our folks aren't here today because they're, they're just not having a good day. They weren't able to come to church because they're too sick. When we, when we experience God's graces, we, we wallow in them. We give thanks for them. We enjoy them. And that's Solomon's message for us. We ended chapter 9 last week by learning that wisdom is better than foolishness. And that's a given and we're going to continue that, that theme today. The first thing that we can learn from this text in verse 2 through 7 is in wisdom versus foolishness wisdom always has an advantage. Look at verses 2 through 7. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right but a fool's heart to the left. Now, if you've played ball, if you played baseball, you know that uh, a left-handed pitcher, a southpaw, kids, what we call a left-hander, a southpaw, they have an advantage, don't they? They have an advantage. But here in the Bible, those on the right seem to have an edge. In fact, Jesus, he sits where? On the right hand of the Father. This is a position of authority. The right hand is used over and over again in the scriptures to portray strength. Exodus, after Moses took the Israelites through the Red Sea, he, he says in chapter 15, verse 6, You have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand supported me, and your gentleness made me great. Your right hand, your stretched out right hand, the earth swallowed me. At the final judgment, the sheep are on the which hand? The right, right, the right side, the right hand, right? And the goats are on the left. To be on the left side means that you're going in the wrong direction. So the fool is not doing what the Lord would have him to do in verse 2. And a fool here is not referring to someone who it's not referring to someone's intelligence. Their wits, it's referring to their morality. The beginning of wisdom is to fear God. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, Solomon tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, a fool rejects the gospel. And by rejecting the gospel, you reject 
God. Those who don't want to hear the gospel, they don't want to submit to it. They don't want God because the gospel is the only means by which a person can be saved, right? By placing your faith, your trust in Jesus' work 2,000 years ago, that's the only means that we can have our sin debt paid. The only means that we can attain righteousness in order to have a relationship with the holy God. A fool rejects God. Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So to be foolish means you do life your way, not God's way. Rejecting God. Look at verse 3. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. How does he say to everyone he's a fool? Just by the way he lives his life. It's obvious, right? The way he lives is an obvious indicator that they're foolish. Sometimes we get surprised by foolishness, don't we? I can't believe somebody would do that. And we say over and over again, what? Foolish people do foolish things. Non-believers, they live like non-believers. Lost people, they do lost things, right? We shouldn't be surprised. And Solomon gives an example, look at verse 4, of a boss, a, a ruler, going off, losing it. Maybe he's yelling at you. And what does the fool do? How does the fool respond? The fool says, nobody going to talk to me like that. I'm out of here. I don't have to take that. That's what a fool does. So many young people, I've, I've talked to so many in the last few months on the phone. They'll call and want, they want help. Hey, can you pay my light bill? Can you pay my electric bill? Can you pay my water bill? Can you help me with my rent? And so, as I get into their story, so many young people, 22, 23 years old, so many young people, I go, why can't you pay your bills? Where do you work? Well, I don't work. Well, why, why don't you work? And there's so many of them, some just don't have a desire to work, right? But there some that, well, you know, I worked at so-and-so, and they told me where they worked. And you know so-and-so, they'll name the person. You know, he was my boss. You know, he did this right here. And I, was, I told him, I won't take that. good for you. <laughs> Tomorrow your life is going to be turned around. Congratulations. What a fool. Yeah, fool. They reveal their character by the way they live. They respond in anger and they get fired or they just quit without first finding another job. Foolish, isn't it? But it says, calmness will lay great offenses to rest. We see that in Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How do we respond when our boss, our authority, has given us what we feel like we don't deserve? Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. You can say that if you'd like. If you have another paycheck coming in or another job waiting on you, maybe. Proverbs 25.15 says, With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. And we've seen this counsel already in chapter 7, verse 8 and 9. Solomon tells us, Do not be quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Yeah, we respond with a gentle word. Typically, 
your authority will cool off and things will be all right. Being wise is advantageous, isn't it? Those who pursue righteousness, they have an edge in life. That's what Solomon's teaching us. They just handle life better. The fools, they fly off the handle. They lose their temper and they make matters worse. But the wise, they have an advantage in life. In wisdom versus foolishness, wisdom has an advantage. So let's be wise. Be wise. The second thing we learn from this text having wisdom, even though we handle things better, it is advantageous. We live life better. Having wisdom doesn't guarantee immunity from hardships. Look at verse 5 through 7. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Be wise. We need, we need wisdom. We need to live wisely. But to live wisely, even though it has its advantages, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we won't suffer. Here in this text, we see that leaders, authorities, sometimes they oppress the righteous and promote the foolish. That happens in life. Unfortunately, it happens. But that's life. Sometimes the godly suffer at the, hand of, at the hands of an evil person. Sometimes the foolish are praised while the righteous is ridiculed. Our own culture praises the legislation of evil things. That's foolish, isn't it? Kelvin Cochran read about him this week. He was... He, he, probably remember that story. He was a former fire chief of Atlanta. He was a model fireman, a model fire chief. He rose to the top of his profession and he is a committed Christian. And at his church, he wrote a, some discipleship material put it together in a, a, a book for men. And in that, he spoke out against same-sex marriage. He was fired from his job as a fireman because of that book. He sought wisdom and paid the price. Wise people were not immune to hardship. Look at verse 8 through 11. You see four people working. Working hard and doing everything right, but still getting hurt. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is, is endangered by them. Sometimes you can work hard and do everything right and still get hurt. Accidents happen, don't they? We obey the traffic laws. Wear our seatbelts, but sometimes we still have accidents. I remember I, I was here years ago working with students, and I had a student, I picked a student up from school, and we're coming from Brighton High School, and we stopped at Four Way Stop here at Egypt, Egypt Community Center. And I remember looking up, and I, I came to the police stop, and I looked up in my rearview mirror, and here this 
16-year-old boy, here he comes in his little pickup truck, and he's doing, he's, he's, he's looking like this, and all I can say is, hold on, and he hits us, right? Knocks us into another car. We're doing everything we're supposed to do, but yet sometimes accidents happen, right? It does. It's life. It's the way life is. And so how do we respond? We don't just curl up in a ball and not go outside. You think about road construction. It seems like when you have road construction, you always have more accidents. But that doesn't mean that we don't repair the road because, yeah, when you repair the road, there's just happen to be more accidents. Does that mean we don't repair the roads? No, we still repair the roads. It's just, it's just life, isn't it? Four people doing four different jobs here that are hurt doing these jobs. Well, sometimes we see a brother in sin. We're doing what we think we should do. We bring this brother's sin to his attention. We are what the Bible says we're being spiritual. We're trying to carry our, carry our brother's burden. And we do that, and what happens? Sometimes they don't take it well. Sometimes it makes matters worse. Sometimes we do the right thing. It blows up in our face. But look at verse 10 and 11. But there's still benefit in being wise. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. Sometimes when we're studying through these books, remember we're at a point in the in the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon is putting is putting forth, he's giving forth counsel. And sometimes these proverbs that he's put together, sometimes they kind of flow, and sometimes they don't. And sometimes they're difficult to understand. But I think what he's doing is he's letting us know there's a benefit here in being wise. How many of you have ever used a dull axe? Yeah. How'd that work for you? Yeah. You have a dull axe or a chainsaw. The chain is dull. Where's Charlie? That's difficult, isn't it? You have to you have to sharpen the you have to sharpen the chain, don't you? And it, I think what it's saying here, it, it works much better and works much easier for blade sharp. The wise person works smarter. Be wise in how you work. And then the snake charmer, what's that all about? The snake charmer needs to charm his snake before it's too late. If you're taming these snakes and you're bitten by a snake because it wasn't tamed, you haven't tamed it yet, it's foolish. Get your snake under control here before it bites you. Be wise. I think what it's saying is be prepared and act before it's too late. The wise person does things in its proper time. Don't lollygag. Don't put things off. Do things when you need to do it and things work out better for you. So wisdom versus foolishness. Wisdom always has an advantage, so be wise. But being wise doesn't mean we don't we don't have difficulty. Thirdly, word to the wise. We need to watch our words. Verses 12 through 15 and also verse 20. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. 
Wisdom results in holding your tongue and saying gracious words. A fool talks too much. Are you foolish? Sometimes I'm a little foolish. I talk too much. A fool is usually opinionated. How's that working out for you? We all have opinions, but that doesn't mean we have to voice those opinions. The right to Yeah, we're all opinionated, aren't we? And we want to voice that. We want to, we want to let everybody know what we think. And, and sometimes that's okay, but we have to be wise, I think. Look, notice it says that the foolish words consume them, and they are evil madness. Verse 14, I think it's saying that a fool is a know-it-all. You know when you know-it-alls? Sometimes we're know-it-alls. Yet it says in verse 15, they don't even know what they're talking about. Philip Ryken in his commentary on this book, he, he quotes Plato. Plato says, wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools speak because they have to say something. Proverbs 14, verse 3, Solomon says, By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. The litmus test, I think, to determine if one's wise is how one speaks. And this is something that we all, I think, have to work on, don't we? We all need this. You're like, why are you looking at me? Why are you looking at me? Sometimes people say that. Well, when you said that, why are you looking at me? I didn't know I was looking at you. <laughs> Maybe you need to do. We all need this, don't we? Ephesians 4.29, a lot of you have this verse memorized. It's, a good, it's good for us to remember. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up others, as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. James chapter 3, verse 2, James says, For we all stumble in many ways. That's true, isn't it? And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Able also to bridle his whole body. And that's always just so difficult, isn't it? When we read through the book of James, it's like, man, I need that. I don't like to hear it, but I need it. James tells us in chapter 1, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, and also slow to be angry. And Jesus, what does Jesus, what does he say about that? Luke chapter 6, the good person out of the good treasures of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. And this is what he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. If you have something physically wrong with you, you go to the doctor. And what do they do? Chris had to take his father to the doctor last night and they, they took him to the doctor and they, they ran tests. What kind of tests did they run, brother? Urine blood clots. Yeah. Check your cardiogram. Yeah. Take his heart, take his blood pressure. Yeah, they want to know. That's, that's, that's what they do. They will check your heart, check your blood pressure. How's your ticker? How's your heart? And a lot of times that's an indication. There could be other things wrong, but that's an indication that, okay, you're. you're, you're you're sick, but you're not too terribly sick, right? Check your heart. Check your blood pressure. That'll tell if you're physically okay or not. But just as your heart rate, blood pressure is checked to determine how you are physically, your mouth can be observed to tell 
how you're doing spiritually. How are we doing on that? Look at verse 20. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry the voice or some winged creature tell the matter. Words have wings, so be careful what you say. And we're told elsewhere in chapter 7, Solomon says, hey, don't take other people's words too seriously. When you hear someone talking about you, don't take that too seriously because you know you said some things about folks too because we're all opinionated, right? We just like to talk sometimes. And sometimes we say too much. And sometimes the person we're talking about, they hear that and feelings get hurt and friendships are strained, right? Or, or fractured. We should be careful of our words. Harsh words, malicious talk, belittling others, it can come back to bite us. So be wise. Watch your words. Jesus, out of the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, so we really need a heart change. We need that continual grace in order for us to have gracious words coming out of our mouths. And sometimes the problem is we say, well, we think if something is true that we can say it. Right? We've, we've probably all done this. We say something and someone kind of turns their head and looks at us and we say, well, it's true. You ever done that? Well, but it's true. Well, just because it's true doesn't mean you need to say it. And in fact, our opinions are almost always true and right. That doesn't mean we need to verbalize it. Yeah, the wise man, what does he do? He holds his tongue. Wisdom has an advantage over foolishness, so be wise. But that doesn't mean we're not immune to difficulties. Be wise in what you say. You'll have less difficulty. Fourthly, not only being wise benefits us individually, but it benefits a nation. Verse 16 through 18. Wise leaders benefit a people, benefit a nation. It's advantageous to be wise profitable for a nation to have wise leaders. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast. And that child there, I don't think it's talking about someone who's an adolescent, someone who's young in age. I think it's talking about someone who's inept, someone who's immature. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. When did princes feast? After work's done. Well, what are these princes doing? They're feasting in the morning. Happy your land when your king is a son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. So here you have this land where the leaders are not wise or foolish. And so their princes, they feast, but they don't feast at the proper time. After the work's been done in the evening, they feast in the morning. And they feast in such a way that they're drunk. And what good are you then? Verse 18, though through sloth the roof sinks in and through indolence or laziness, indolence means laziness, laziness the house leaks. Lazy leaders play when they should be working. Think about Solomon's own son, Rehoboam. He was a foolish leader. He had a corrupt court. His counselors were idiots. And soon his kingdom was divided. Another leader who was foolish was King David. 
Bible says, in a time when kings went off to war, what was David doing? Lounging around the palace. And what happened? The incident with Bathsheba that led to a lot of difficulty, not only for David, but for the nation of Israel. A lazy leader doesn't repair his leaky roof, but a wise one gets to work, and when it's done, he eats a meal to nourish his body, verse 17. So, fifthly, work hard and live well. Look at verse 19. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Real kind of difficult. This verse seems kind of out of place. And sometimes we have those, these, they're proverbs, and they're not, they're kind of loosely joined together. But I, I think what this verse is pointing to is it's contrast with the, the foolish leader who doesn't work hard. He plays when he should be working. It says money answers everything. You can, you can, you can hear people taking that out of context, can't you? Yeah, we have to. Remember, money, money does have its limits. Don't take this literally. Remember what Solomon's already said about money and, and things and possessions. He says it's all vanity. It, it can't satisfy you. So as we look at Scripture, we have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. That's how we don't mess things up. We don't take Scripture out of context. Money answers everything. We know that's not true. So what is the point? I think the point is one who works hard has what he needs because he has money. Money has limits. We know the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We know that to be true. But having money allows one to enjoy pleasures in life. If one has money, one can buy what he needs. Dwayne Garrett, in his commentary on Ecclesiastes, he translates verse 19 this way. People prepare food for pleasure and wine makes life joyful, but money pays for both. We have to work to make money to bring home the bacon. And that's what we should do. That's what we should do, especially men. That's what we do. We, we're created to work. And we work to bring home money to provide for our family so we can provide for our family, but also so we can enjoy life. It's all a balance, isn't it? Because we can't work too much. Some of us do that. We put in too many hours, we neglect other things that are more important. But in our culture today, it's a big problem in our culture. Big problem. People not wanting to work. We should work. Wise people work. Application. What's what are we what are we going to do with this text? Well, first of all, wisdom versus foolishness. Wisdom wins hands down. So be wise. What does it mean to be wise? If we look at the scripture, it's not talking about intelligence here. Part of being wise is trusting in God. Remember Solomon's conclusion. As we study the book of Ecclesiastes, a good hermeneutic is to remember. The conclusion. Remember what Solomon concluded as we studied through this. And Solomon concluded, fear God, obey Him, because judgment's coming. So to be wise means that sinners should repent because judgment's coming. 
The wise person does things in its proper time. We talked about in verse 11, we talked about the serpent. What happened with this serpent who didn't tame his snake in time? He got bit. So in, do things in proper time. So my, my, by, by way of application, I think, for the sinner, is repent. The 41-year-old woman wasn't thinking that day when she got up, she was actually going out to dinner, and she dropped dead. She wasn't thinking, this is my last day on earth. Hope she had repented and trusted Jesus. Don't put off trusting God. Repent if you've never repented. Turn from your sin and trust Jesus' work on the cross. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was put on a cross for sinners. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. The unrighteous being the sinner. Christ died for sins once for all. He being righteous died for sinners. To bring sinners to God. The Son of God took on flesh. He perfectly obeyed God's will in every way. He died a sinner's death. Not because he was guilty, but because sinners are guilty. He died, he was buried. On the third day, he rose from the grave and he ascended into heaven. And he told his disciples, One day I'm coming back and I'm going to judge sinners. So, sinner, repent. Turn from your sin and trust Jesus. Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died so that sinners can be reconciled to a holy, righteous, God. I stand before you a sinner forgiven. Not because I'm good, because I've done anything worthy of reconciliation with God. I'm forgiven because I repented and placed my faith and trust in what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. He said, Shane, if you stood before the Lord and He asked, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? I'd say, Jesus died for me. He paid my sin debt. I trusted Jesus. I trusted that Jesus died. He paid my sin debt. He rose on the third day. That's the only reason I can go to heaven. The only way I can know a holy, righteous God is through faith in Jesus. So, sinner, I say today, repent and trust Christ. Believer, how do we apply? Well, I've repented. I'm a believer. I have the Holy Spirit living in me. I'm walking with the Lord. How do I apply this text to my life? Well, know that being wise, fearing God, doesn't make you immune to difficulty in life. So this week when you face difficulties, know that God is sovereign, that He's going to use this difficulty for your good and for His glory. Even though we don't know how, we don't see why, we just trust Him to do that. Secondly, we watch our words. Give you some homework if you want to do it. You know, when I do this, homework, not very many of you do that. I recognize that. But some of you will, and you'll be better for it. So all I can do is, is teach you. You know, it's like those things. They said you can take a horse to water, but you can't make it. Yeah, so, okay. All right, horses, here we go. We all struggle with our words. I struggle with you struggle with words. Uh, I have a, a daughter who's quite shy, very shy, painfully shy. But I think, wow, she does better than I do. Because a lot of times we're, we stick our 
feet in our mouth a lot, right? We chew leather a lot. But this is what I give you to do. Do this this week because we all struggle with the thing we say. We all have opinions about everything. The problem is we voice those opinions too regularly. Do this. This week, and I'll do it, and you can do it, and Wednesday we can report how we're doing midway through the week. But have a notebook and put it on your nightstand. And when you go to bed, try to write down the things that you said that were unwholesome. And what I mean by unwholesome is they didn't benefit. They, they didn't benefit anybody. They were harmful instead of helpful. Now I'm not saying there's words that you, you say. There are some hurtful words that we sometimes have to say. That need to be said. That's not what I'm talking about. Sometimes with husband and spouse, we need to rebuke one another. As brother and sister in Christ, we need to, you know, let people know you did this, and that, that's that's not what the scriptures teach, but that, that was wrong. Well, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the hurtful things, things that aren't beneficial to others. And, and read Ephesians 4:29, and I think that'll 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 help you know. But but on your night said, write those things out. Just think about, all right, Lord, show me the things I said today, and write those things out. And do that every day. And we'll let that notebook and this exercise kind of be a bridle for us. I think it would be helpful if you're willing to do it. And granted, you won't, you won't remember all those things, but I think they're, you'll be surprised the things that you remember. The Holy Spirit, I think, probably helped us with this. Bring our attention to things that we said that weren't wholesome. And maybe it's some things to our kids' parents, right? Or, or kids, it's things that you said to your parents. Maybe write those things down. And we'll let this journal be our bridle help bridle our tongue. So that's something we can do by way of application. And thirdly, for believers, work hard. Men, work hard this week. Some of you, you're retired. You put in your time. Enjoy God's graces. But work hard. Bring home the bacon and live well this week. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.